0: Hello, I'm Sam Birchall, Senior Reporter at Real Deals, and here is a snapshot of a recent fundraising roundtable discussion where I'm joined by Klaus Tekenham from Nordic Capital, Sophie Smith from Kirkland & Ellis, Simon King from Aztec Group, Morton Wellow from FSN Capital, and Andrew Bentley from Campbell Lutyens. In this discussion, we explore the impact of COVID-19 on current fundraising and the difference between pre- and post-pandemic practices. So I wanted to start off by talking about some of the challenges of remote fundraising. Klaus, from your perspective at Nordic Capital, what additional considerations have to be factored into a remote fundraise? And, and what are some of the main lessons that have been learned so far?
1: The, the key DD topic obviously moved a bit from how you're going to invest my money to how is your portfolio weathering well COVID? Because many of the LPs are so that was also a big thing for us. We we set up a COVID task force that worked really hard to assess the situation in portfolio companies, issue guidelines, issue ethical guidelines like no profiteering, you know, health and safety first, those type of things. Um, and also mapped out the capital needs. Um, and also we set up two different hot desks for different topics where we supported portfolio companies in weathering the storm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and all of that was, you know, we had to get LPs comfortable around our existing portfolio before we could get them to focus on investing new money.
3: Just, just on the last point there, I think, uh, regardless if you're fundraising or not, I think the COVID has clearly helped uh, the GPs that work very close with their portfolio companies. So, you know, when COVID hit us uh, in the first weeks, it was all about health and safety, liquidity, control, etc. So we had Every third week, we had updates with our LPs, then it was every six weeks, and then we turned back to quarterly webinars. And and Mm -hmm. clearly, those webinars you record and you put them uh, available for LPs, regardless if they're current or potential new LPs. So I think the whole whole COVID situation is a good way to market yourself towards LPs, how do you actually work in practice. And uh, we can see that uh, the number of LPs downloading these webinars is very, very high and uh, so they are clearly interested in how we work so so it's a good opportunity to sell yourself uh, and using that for for a potential fundraise.
0: and andrew from a placement agent perspective what what do you seen to be some of the sort of key challenges around um remote fund launches and, and fundraisers
4: i think there have been a couple of key changes one is uh it's been difficult for us to assess exactly where each fundraising is because in the old days, you'd say, well, the, the, the main thing is you'd, you'd see who'd come to on-site due diligence and then you'd apply normal sort of conversion metrics to that. On-site DD is not difficult. It's not as difficult to achieve now because the accessibility is easier and there's no travel cost. So we look at the look at the book of our clients, fundraises and we're trying to assess, oh, have we got enough? How are we doing? It's really much more difficult because the DDs are more sp- sort of separated out maybe three sessions not one and uh, they don't mean quite so much so we've been impressed by the number by the conversion rates from approach to meeting to on-site dd but been slightly disappointed by how that's translated in a number of cases into commitments
0: and simon from your perspective at aztec group how did covid impact operations and fund launches
4: the volume that
5: andrew spoke about became a real challenge in all our offices Because it seemed like everyone was busier, whether that was existing new business, um, deals being completed very quickly at the beginning of the, let's call it the the episode. um, And then remained busy for various reasons, as well as existing clients um, launching new funds and the, the, the more established clients launching bigger funds and then new new business as well. So, you know, we've had a record breaking year. Throughout our office network for existing new and new new and I think that that really speaks volumes as to how robust the industry has been ESG sustainability wise we're just creating a lot less paper and we're doing a lot less travel which I guess whilst it presents some relationship challenges one has to work a bit harder particularly with um, new staff at client companies or new clients you know there's nothing quite like meeting in person which we're not able to do so Perhaps it's just a different way of building that relationship. But, you know, I think we've all done pretty well at it over the last year.
0: And Sophie, from your perspective, has the pandemic led to any changes in fund terms or fund restructuring at all?
2: I wouldn't say necessarily structuring. I think certainly from what we've seen, there's been um changes in terms. So, you know, it, as fundraiser, um, funds that are being raised kind of later on in the year, once kind of COVID had hit and people are trying to had seen kind of where they need flexibility so looking at you know we've seen a lot of clients kind of introducing flexibility around borrowing investment restrictions allowing kind of increased um, flexibility to do now facilities particularly kind of towards the end of the investment period where you may not necessarily have enough undrawns to to allow you to kind of borrow more um, under the, the typical formulation of borrowing restrictions under the fund documents also kind of looking at you know, where you, removing caps on follow-ons in case you do need to kind of deploy additional capital into uh, to businesses that may have been slightly harder hit by um, by COVID or, you know, looking at maybe um, getting waivers of diversification restrictions for the same reason. So less in the kind of structure of the fund, but more in terms of the terms and, and really looking at what the business needs, either in the immediate kind of recovery phase, but also future-proofing, um, you know, now that we we've kind of gone through COVID and and see the potential for it to impact kind of portfolios in the future.
0: Considering the additional challenges funds have had to deal with in lockdown conditions, how important has pre-marketing and the use of placement agents been?
4: Well, we've just uh, closed a fund um, that um, has been fully virtual. And by fully virtual, I mean they've never met any of their LPs, not once, not ever. And so this is a, this is a new f- private fund uh, with a great track record because you can't do it without the track record. But the fact is that everybody's relied on that. They didn't know any LPs, the, no LPs knew them. And we just raised a, a pretty significant substantial fund for them and uh, done it in four months, You know, first and final, mm-hmm. driven by their track record. But I think coming back to the point about first time funds and the difficulty is, and it's a point that class made, you know, it's it's uh it's the it's the texture of the relationship, it's the rapport that you have to generate to generate trust that relies on the commitment in this because it's so illiquid, private equity. It's, a, it's the ultimate trust me um, uh, commitment, and uh, just really difficult to do. So, I think that you know what 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 really helps uh, when you're working out whether to trust somebody is meeting them absolutely first and foremost. If not. Then you're relying on on um, on referencing, and one of the things we've really encouraged people to do is to ask, you know, ask LPs to refer to other LPs, or if LPs are looking at something and they don't know the manager so well and it's fully virtual, to spend some time with LPs who had met them before. And that they know so that we're trying to sort of actually go slightly against the fundraising rules that don't coalesce your LPs together because you don't want them to sort of worry each other. But equally, in some cases, it's really helpful to get the LPs to talk to each other so you can build that chain of trust. I think it goes to your point earlier, Andrew,
5: actually, and that's that every everyone's available. So it's so much yeah. easier for, for, a, for an LP or, or, or a promoter to contact someone to get a reference. And I've definitely noticed an uptick in... Um, access to people within our company or across our network when it comes to due diligence on control frameworks etc from clients that are launching funds and their investors want to know a bit more about it so it's made life uh, probably more transparent again for for the ultimately for the investors what
3: what i've seen over the last i would say nine months is the number of lps that i have never heard of proactively reaching out to us maybe you have seen the same class so it seems like due to the pandemic, LPs talk a lot more to each other and reference each other because we cannot meet them in uh, face-to-face uh, physical conferences. So they get recommendations. So, so I had a number of LPs reaching out that I, I talked to LPX, I heard about your fund, I heard about your ESG strategy. Are you out in the market now? When are you coming out? Those type of requests have kind of exploded over the last six, uh, six to nine months.
0: And considering how competitive the market is, how can new and existing GPs differentiate a new fund coming to market at the moment?
3: You know, differentiation
4: is everything in marketing. Um, And uh, many GPs get it, but some GPs still don't. Um, You know, many GPs think it's all about performance. And, uh, you know, if you're a good, solid manager, you should be able to raise money. But the reality is, is that LPs, you know, have got a portfolio. And it's a question, what does this add to my portfolio? And it's got to add something. It rarely is just quantum of exposure to a sort of broad market basket. It's got to add something in style or attraction, etc. And And the only way to keep attention of an LP um, when they're basically saying, what does it do for my portfolio, is to highlight the areas in which it adds something new, a different, or something distinctive. And that's what fundraising is certainly for new investors is all about
0: similar sort of question but are lps leaning towards specific types of funds or strategies coming out of the pandemic
1: i mean we tilted into a growth fear model a decade ago certainly uh, five six years ago Uh, we were questioned for quite a while a lot of lps especially in europe are more in a value mindset but i think i definitely feel that tailwind for growth style investing people are getting more relaxed about high entry multiples and growth Mm -hmm. and i think in a very high value environment people are starting to look at the peg ratios you see earnings growth in relation to to uh, the multiple you're paying people are more comfortable paying a 20 times ebta multiple for something growing 20 percent per year than going for a classical value investment 12 times Multiple, maybe now, which is really, really high. When you know your earnings growth at five percent,
4: what the market's looking for is different today than it was a year ago. Um, you know, every GP needs to be a tech GP these days because the standard of GP of, of tech tech fluency that LPS are requesting from their GPs is just is, is just a step up. Um, but I think everybody understands that. Um, I've talked a little bit about sort of growth as a you know being distinctively where are you are you a generalist got a bit of growth got a bit of value or are you one or the other I think this that axis has become much more marked this year
0: there's been a big push towards ESG considerations in the wake of COVID how much are you seeing LPs having that as a prerequisite in terms of the funds they invest in and is that a distinguishing factor in the marketing process
4: it's such a good question because it's been there for a while. Um, it's been growing. Um, it's really accelerated in importance over the last year. You know, as soon as the sort of how's your portfolio done over COVID um, sort of ebbed away, sort of in September, say, um, LPs have been back dr- beating the drum about ESG even harder than they were in, in, in March last year. Um, it's a really tough one, though, because it's so difficult to differentiate yourself in ESG. It's a bit like, you know, value added. You know, what do you do? Portfolio value add. It's so difficult as a subject to have it as a key selling point because everybody's got to do it. Everybody's being asked to increase the standards. It's it's a big thing inside the GP, but from the LP's point of view, the standards go up. It doesn't mean that you're different because you do ESG well. Um, so... You know it, I think there are firms who've uh, differentiated themselves well on it historically uh, it's a it's a tough job to do so um, but it's absolutely essential
1: I think it we're getting very high marks a lot of LPS tell us that we have among if not the highest mark in their own ESG scorings I'm pretty sure you guys get that too Morten. I know you're good at it and I think it comes maybe out of our Scandinavian heritage and you know just being more sustainable um, I don't think I'm getting any more money because of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I wish that would be a key differentiator that would give you more more LP bucks. I, I don't see that as, as the reason people are coming in. They like it, they check the box, uh, but on the margin, I don't think the investment committees actually allocate base of it.
3: Sorry. Now, we have actually seen a, a number of LPS coming uh, because of the ESE approach and and uh, I think it's, as you said Klaus I think it's uh, it's good to operate in in our part of the world because we are fairly advanced uh, compared to others. and And also I think what we haven't touched so much upon uh, is in the pandemic, LP referencing has been extremely important. And and there have been pockets out there where where one uh, LP uh, committed to our last fund, uh, then one guy, he moved on to another fund, and then he did the DD again and also committed. And they know another family office that also committed, and all three of them, it was our ESG angle that was the starting point.
0: Looking back over everything that's been said, What do you think the fundraising process will look like post-COVID? And what pandemic-induced changes do you think should be maintained going forward?
5: Um, So so I guess one aspect we haven't touched on is the use of electronic signatures and um, electronic documentation. So that's now being embraced by by the authorities and actually the, the people side of it that we haven't particularly touched on yet other than the extended day reference I made earlier and that's um, flexible working frameworks. I think I think actually that's here to stay and those who embrace it will do far better than those who, who, who haven't kind of seen how the world's evolved the last year.
1: And We've talked a lot about it i believe that the the world is moving into hybrid we will do much more virtually and it's much more efficient even though exhausting like having the first dd meeting seven thirty a.m swedish time and then the last one's you know 10 30 in the evening so so because you can pack your whole day with all time zones and it's just meeting to meeting it's super efficient right but i also think we will resume travel um mm-hmm. our goal is for the whole firm to travel a quarter what we used to and I think we're going to end up somewhere between that and half. Um, but I think we need to resume travel for that cultivating of those first kind of relationships that you want to build.